0: I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 5 to 21 this morning, 5 to 21. So we have been in a series in 1 Corinthians, we've come to the last chapter, and these verses that we're going to be looking at this morning we'll actually be looking at over the next several weeks, and we'll be choosing each week a theme to trace through these verses, okay, a theme that. Emerges from the passage. And so this week, I'm going to read for us verses 5 to 21, and then uh, we'll consider our passage. If you're using one of the black Bibles that's provided for you and one of the chairs around you there, uh, you'll find our passage on page 962. 962. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes, I'll visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you uh, the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord... Let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are so grateful for the love that you have shown us in Jesus. And we are so thankful that we are able to gather this morning and to worship you. And we praise you for this word that you have given us. Lord, we pray that it would be a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us by your word, that you would transform us and change us and make us the people you want us to be. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, we are in a series right now covering chapter 16 in 1 Corinthians, and the series is entitled, Partners in the Gospel. And this chapter here really gives us insight into how Paul thought about and how Paul actually did partner with others in gospel ministry. Last week we saw that partnership involves financial investment. And so Paul modeled for us that if we're going to be generous and we're going to give to gospel work, we need to plan for our generosity. And then this week, what we'll see, as we look at our passage this morning, is that as partners in the gospel, we need to be with one another. That as partners in the gospel, we need to value togetherness. You know, you may be here this morning, and you're a non-Christian, and perhaps you've thought to yourself before, why do Christians spend so much time together? Maybe you think to yourself, it's kind of weird or maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer and you've wondered, why is it that we get together every single Sunday? Or why is it that we regularly meet together in our homes and home groups? Why is it that we regularly schedule fellowships to be with one another and attend Bible studies and participate together in community projects and go on mission trips? Why is it that Christians spend so much time together? And one very important reason is because gospel partners value being together. In fact, togetherness is essential to our partnership in the gospel. Now as we look at 1 Corinthians 16, we'll see this morning that Paul's modeling here is primarily a partnership between sister churches. So you'll see that as Paul writes here to the church in Corinth, he mentions the church in Corinth, and he mentions the church in Galatia, and he mentions the church in Jerusalem, and he mentions the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about the partnership that these churches have with one another in the gospel. And partnering with sister churches is actually very important for us to fulfill our mission as a church. It's very important for us to remain faithful in our own context to partner with other churches that are in different contexts. We can learn from them and grow with them. It's also very important if we are to fulfill Christ's commission to reach the nations with the gospel. This is something that no one church can do by themselves. That's why we need to partner with other churches. And so we've entered into partnerships here at Crawford Avenue with the Southern Baptist Convention and churches within that convention, with the Nine Marks Network, with the Sojourn Network. These are networks of churches that have similar convictions and theology and practice of ministry that we do that we can partner with and, and be on mission together with. But, you know, even closer to home, Do you understand that what we do right here at Crawford Avenue Baptist Church is a partnership in the gospel? If you're a member at Crawford Avenue Baptist Church, when you covenanted with us to be a member here of this body, you partnered with us to live out your discipleship in Christ with us. To be on mission for the sake of the gospel with us. We have entered into a partnership together in the gospel. And so the question is, what does that partnership look like? What should it look like? And Paul models for us here in our passage that it's not only a financial investment, which it is, he taught us that last week, but it's also a relational investment. That if we are to be faithful partners in the gospel, relationally, we need to be with one another. We need to value togetherness. And so as we examine Paul's example here in 1 Corinthians 16, we will see the desire to be with one another, the intentionality to be with one another, the result of being with one another, and the culture of being with one another. Let's look at this. First of all, the desire to be with one another. Look there in verses 5 through 9 as Paul unpacks this gospel partnership. He says, "'I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, "'for I intend to pass through Macedonia, "'and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter "'so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. "'For I do not want to see you now just in passing.'" I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work is open to me and there are many adversaries. So when Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, he's actually writing from the city of Ephesus and Paul here is telling the Corinthians what his travel plans are for the future. And so Paul's writing in the city of Ephesus and he says he plans to stay there until about the time of Pentecost, which would have been early spring. And then at that time, he's going to sail across the Aegean Sea and his plan is to arrive north in Macedonia. Macedonia was a region where there are a number of other churches and he was going to spend the summer there. And then after he spent the summer in Macedonia, he was going to sail south to Corinth. And when he arrived in Corinth, he says, my intention is to spend the winter with you there. Now there's a number of reasons why Paul might decide to stay in Corinth for the winter. A number of good reasons. I mean, one was just it was a convenient stop on his travels. Another reason would be that it was a major seaport city during that time. Another reason was that it was unsafe to travel on the seas during winter, so he needed to find somewhere to kind of settle down. So there's a number of reasons why Paul might want to stay in Corinth for some time. But Paul makes it very clear in this passage that one of the most important reasons why he wants to go to Corinth and he wants to stay in Corinth is because he wants to be with the Corinthian church. You see it there in verses 6 and 7. Perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend time with you. Paul says to the church in Corinth, I want to be with you. And listen, this is, this is not always easy. In fact, Paul expressing this at the very end of this letter is, is very interesting because actually, as Paul is pinning these words, he's wrapping up a rather difficult and challenging letter. If you've been here for the series, you know that this letter is full of pastoral correction. There were any number of things going on in the church in Corinth that were unhealthy. And yet as Paul ends this letter, he says to the Corinthian church, listen, I want to be with you. And perhaps that's all the more reason why he wanted to be with them. Because he had to speak hard words to them and challenging words to them, but he wants to be with them in order to reassure them of his love for them. That these words that he has spoken have not been said in unkindness or harshness, but they've been said in love, and they've been said with a pastor's heart. You know, we see from the example of the Apostle Paul here that it is natural and it is good for Christians to want to be with one another. You know, in Acts chapter 2, we see the example of the early church. Peter preaches the gospel at Pentecost. Thousands of people are converted. The church in Jerusalem is established. And right away we read, and all who believed were together. And day by day they attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes. We read further in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is good and natural for Christians to want to be with one another. You know, you might be here this morning, you might say, well, actually as I think about it, I I believe I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I really have a desire to be with other Christians. You know, I would encourage you to make that a matter of prayer. In my own personal life, and I'm sure that many of you have experienced this, there are times where I don't necessarily want to read God's word. Maybe my heart's kind of cold or dry. And I have to pray, God, give me a desire, give me a hunger for your word. And if you don't have a desire to be with other Christians, and I know that some of this is going to differ in terms of personality types and so forth. Some of us are more extroverted and naturally like being with other people. Others of us are more introverted and we kind of like our time alone. Maybe we like a lot of time alone. But whatever your personality type might be, pray that God would change your heart and that he would give you a desire. And it'll look different in different people's lives, but he would give you a desire to be with other Christians. You know, I've heard, I've heard uh, church planners who are planning new churches say, "We don't and, th- and, and I love this we don't want to just plant a service. We want to plant a church." And you know, there is I, I like that, and that is really the heart of Crawford Avenue Baptist Church as well. There is a significant difference between planting a service and planting a church. You know, some people think that all church is is a service. You come on Sunday, you get what you get, you leave, you're done. Right? But that is not a church. You see, a service is an important part of a church body, but it is not what a church is. A church is a family. And so when we come together, even for the service, we come to be with family. And we come to get, yes, but we also come to give. And sometimes, you know what happens? Sometimes we're not even necessarily giving. We're not even necessarily getting. We're just here because that's what family does. Family is with one another. And it's in being with one another that all kinds of good things happen in our souls and in the souls of others. Paul models for us here The gospel partnership, a healthy gospel partnership is reflected in a desire to be with one another. Second thing we see here is the intentionality to be with one another. The intentionality to be with one another. Look there in verse 12. Paul writes these words. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Now, who was Apollos? We know from Acts chapter 18, verse 24, that Apollos was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. So he was articulate and could speak in a way that was clear and understandable. And he was intelligent. He knew the Scriptures well. And so Apollos had a very effective ministry. In fact, there was a time where Paul or uh, Apollos was ministering in the city of Corinth and the people responded very well to the ministry of Apollos we know from Paul's letter actually to the Corinthians earlier in this letter that the Corinthians had a propensity to kind of create fan clubs for their favorite leaders or their favorite preachers and so there was kind of a fan club in Corinth for Apollos you could imagine them walking around with their t-shirts that say you know Apollos is my homeboy and picture of Apollos on the front you know and, and Apollos, uh, actually the Apostle Paul, had to correct the church in Corinth because their admiration for Apollos and certain other Christian leaders was not a godly, healthy admiration that showed honor and respect, but it was carnal and idolatrous, and it was causing division within the body. So they would say, oh, I follow Paul, and some others would say, no, I follow Apollos, and some others would say, I follow Peter, and it was causing factions and divisions in the church. So this is Apollos. We've come across him earlier in this letter. And it's funny what Paul says about Apollos here at the end of the letter. Paul says, essentially, if you read this verse, Paul essentially says, Listen, I really encouraged Apollos to come and visit with you again. But he said he definitely was not going to do so. And then Paul just moves on. He doesn't really give any explanation, right? Like, why doesn't Apollos want to come and visit the church in Corinth? He kind of leaves them hanging. And there could have been any number of reasons why Apollos would not go and visit the church in Corinth at that time. Maybe he didn't have the resources to get there. Maybe he was involved in certain ministry opportunities he didn't feel he could break away from. Maybe there were family issues. We don't know why Apollos didn't go and visit the church at that time. But many scholars speculate that Apollos decided to not go to the church in Corinth at that time because he was frustrated with their carnal desires to exalt him. In such a way that caused division and factions within the church. Never, nonetheless, whatever his reasons for not going, whatever his reasons for not going were, I want you to see here what Paul models for us. What we see here is that, that Paul not only had a desire to be with the Corinthians, but Paul was thinking with intentionality how can I connect other Christians with the Corinthian church so that they are mutually edified and encouraged? And so Paul was thinking that way and encouraging and pushing other Christians, other healthy, godly Christians towards the Corinthians for their benefit. He was committed to this type of gospel intentionality. And so Paul not only had a desire to be with the Corinthians, Paul is essentially saying, listen, I'm not not the only one that you would benefit from. I'm not the only one that you would be blessed by. Apollos, you would be blessed by him. You would be helped by him. So I want you to receive him and encourage him when he comes to you. And I want him to share his gifts and knowledge with you so that you will be built up in the Lord. Now listen, when I think about Paul's example here and how he's kind of pushing Apollos towards the church in Corinth, I can't help but think of a man named Mark Dever. He was, uh, I was really blessed as a young man training for ministry uh, to intern at his church. He's the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And I did a couple of internships there. And he was excellent at this. I remember as a young intern, Mark was always pushing me towards other people. So we would be after a service one Sunday night or something, and he would, uh, he would see somebody across the room, maybe Mr. Jack across the room, you know, 50 years my senior. And Mark would put his hand on my back, and he'd say, hey, you know what, you really need to go talk to Mr. Jack. And he'd just kind of push me that way. And off I went. Or he'd say, hey, have you noticed that young college student that has started attending recently? You really should ask him out for lunch and spend some time with him. So I'd give him a call, and I'd ask him out for lunch and start meeting with him. But he was doing this all the time with the congregation, encouraging people, pushing people towards one another so that they could spiritually benefit one another. And listen, let me just say that even this fall, you know, we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about how we're going to be making some changes to our home groups, and we're going to be moving more to a model of community groups. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because we want to foster more community within our church. And one of the things we're going to be doing this fall is we're going to be encouraging you to join a community group. We're going to be intentionally pushing you towards other people for your spiritual good. And we might even come alongside and give you a little push on the back and say, you know what? You really should join that group over there. And listen, community group leaders... If there's, I know there's, there's people here this morning that are going to be community group leaders. Let me, let me give you some free community group leader training, okay? When you're leading a group, this is one of the things you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about the relational networks within your own group, and you should be thinking about how could these people benefit one another, encourage one another spiritually, and then kind of push them gently, lovingly. You don't have to be overbearing about it, but gently and lovingly push them towards one another. You know, here's Bob who's been married for 50 years and he's a godly husband. And here's Tim and he just got married and he and his wife are trying to figure this thing out. So maybe you think to yourself, you know, I'm going to encourage Bob and his wife to ask, out, ask Tim and his wife over for dinner one night and just see where that goes. Be intentional about encouraging pushing others towards one another. We can do this as a congregation with each other. Think about the people we know. Think about the people we're interacting with and think about how can we put people together in such a way that they will spiritually benefit. We see the desire of being with one another, the intentionality of being with one another. Third, we see the result of being with one another. there in verses 17 and 18. We read these words. Paul writes, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. So prior to Paul writing this letter to the church in Corinth, there was actually a letter that the Corinthians had written to the Apostle Paul. Okay, so the letters the Corinthians wrote this letter to the Apostle Paul. And Paul's letter here that we have is actually a response to the letter that the Corinthians had written. And so these three individuals that we see here were probably the carriers of that letter from the church in Corinth. So they had taken the letter that the church in Corinth had written and they took it to the Apostle Paul and he read it. And Paul says, when I I saw them coming, when they came to me with this letter... I rejoiced at their coming. You see that there in verse 17. He was happy to spend time with them. And why? What was the result of their time together? You see it there in verse 18. They refreshed my spirit. It's interesting, that word refreshed can also be translated rest. So the verse could be translated, they gave rest to my spirit. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he invites us, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the effect that the apostle Paul said that these three men had upon his own soul. And listen, Paul was an apostle. Oh, I thought Paul only benefited other people spiritually. I thought Paul only refreshed the souls of others. No. Paul says they, these individuals that appear one time in the Bible essentially, they came to me with this letter, they spent time with me, and my soul was refreshed. You know, some of you think that in coming to church on Sunday that you just come to worship God. I just come to sing my songs, to hear a word from God, and then I leave. And listen, my friends, all those things are good to do. But if that's the only reason you come, you are missing out. You are missing out on something that God has for you. Yes, we are to come to God to worship Him. But we are also to come to be with His people in community. And that, in fact, is part of our worship. And part of the way that God intends to minister to our souls. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Nikki and I had the privilege of going to Savannah, Georgia, just for a couple of nights and spending some time there. And uh, we were there on a Sunday, and so we went to Bull Street Baptist Church, which is in downtown Savannah, and there's a Nine Marks church there, and, uh, which is a network of churches that we're affiliated with. And the pastor was out of town, Calvin Fowler, and so one of their uh, younger guys on staff preached, uh, Parker, and he did an excellent job and uh, was able to worship with them and able to talk with Parker a little bit after the service. And then that next day, on Monday, we spent some time with a couple from a Sojourn Network church down in Savannah. He's the pastor of the church there. And they're going through a really difficult time. Their children uh, are going through some pretty serious illnesses. And so we ate lunch with them, and then we spent the afternoon with them. I mean, I'll just tell you, walking away from those two experiences, worshiping with a sister church meeting with a fellow pastor, man, my soul was just refreshed. It was renewed. And you know, here at Crawford Avenue, when I had the opportunity to meet with the elders and we read the scriptures together and we pray over the congregation, we discuss matters about the church... Or when I meet with an intern and we're reading a book together. Or when I go to the hospital and visit someone who's sick or ill and yet they're expressing their faith and their confidence in the Lord. My soul is refreshed and renewed. And listen my friends, this is one of the main things that God has for you in His church. He wants you to be with His people so that through His people He might restore and He might refresh And he might renew your soul. And so, if your soul is thirsty, yes, come to God in worship and come to his people and be with them in community. Fourth and finally, we see in our text the culture of being with one another. So the desire, the intentionality, the result, and then fourth and finally, the culture of being with one another. Look there in verse 19, we read these words. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So let's just look at each one of these very briefly. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Ephesus, actually, the city that Paul was writing from was in Asia. And so Paul says, I'm in Ephesus, which is in the region of Asia. I'm interacting with the churches here. They send you greetings. They love you. They send you greetings. He goes on to write, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. We know that Aquila and Prisca were from Rome originally, They actually lived in Corinth for a while while Paul was ministering in the city of Corinth. And at this point, they are in the city of Ephesus where Paul is. And so Paul says, they're here. These are old friends of yours. They used to live in Corinth where you are now, but they're here now with me. They send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Paul makes a general statement. All the brothers send you greetings. Church in Corinth, you are loved. And then he says very specifically to them, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, it was social custom. It seems a little odd to us, right? But it was a social custom at that time in certain parts of the world today. In certain countries, it's still a custom to greet one another with a kiss. Similar to how we would greet someone by shaking their hand. You know, it's interesting as we read This admonishment from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth at the end of the letter. It's interesting to read this in the context of the larger letter because what we know about the church in Corinth was that there was a lot of conflict going on in the church in Corinth. And surely there were some people in the church in Corinth that didn't feel like kissing each other. And yet Paul concludes the letter here by saying, Greet one another with a holy kiss. What Paul has in mind here is definitely more than just a social custom. It's not a romantic kiss, okay, so it's not that. But neither is it just kind of a social custom. And the way we know that is because Paul says, greet one another with a what kind of kiss? A holy kiss, right? So, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, listen, this social custom in which people just kind of naturally greet one another and interact with one another, when you place that into the community of faith, it has been transformed by the gospel. It has been made holy. And now it is an expression of our love and our unity and our common affection for one another in Jesus Christ. And I want you to greet one another with that kind of warmth and affection that displays... That the grace and the power of the gospel has broken down the old divisions of Jew and Gentile, of rich and poor, of free and slave. I want there to be a culture of warmth and affection among you. And man, we should pray that God would give us such a culture at, Cap- at uh, Crawford Avenue Baptist Church, right? It doesn't mean that we have to be fake. You know, there's times when we come to church and we're gonna be sad and brokenhearted. And there's times when we come to church where we'll be rejoicing and happy for all the good things God is doing in our lives. But you know what? Whether sad or whether rejoicing, we can always be kind to one another. So when we see people, we can give them a smile. We can shake their hand like we're really happy to see them. Or we can give them a big hug and let them know that we love them. For some of this, this is harder, right? I'm an an introvert. Some of this is not natural for me. I kind of like being alone. We need to push ourselves to try to to foster this kind of culture within our church. Because here's the thing. You know, we talked about moving to community groups in the fall, and I'm, I'm very excited about some of the changes that we're going to be making to our groups, and I think it's going to be really good. But we need to understand that at the end of the day, structure, changes in structure, will not accomplish our goal of community. And the reason why is because culture trumps Yes, culture trumps structure every day of the week. Do you know what I mean by that? Well, like we can have the perfect structures and systems to facilitate community, but if we are cold and harsh and indifferent and closed, we will not experience community. But we could have kind of clunky structures and systems. But if we are have a culture of warmth and affection and and, and approachability and hospitality, then we will create a context in which relationships will happen and can thrive and flourish. And so we should pray that God would give us such a culture. You know, it's it's one of the things actually that I'm really encouraged about in our church. There's many things I'm encouraged about, but this is one of them. I was talking to someone about their experience here at our church, and they said that when they were visiting, they were struck by how warm and welcoming people were, and how people stayed after and talked and were getting to know one another. And this individual shared with me that, you know, it just, even if I had come to the church and I didn't want to talk to anybody, just seeing everybody else interact just kind of drew me in and made me want to talk to folks and get to know other people. Now listen, I realize that may not be everybody's experience, but I am so thankful that there are some who come to our church and they experience that. And our prayer is that more and more people would experience that. That we would be a church that has a culture of warmth and affection that draws people in Creates an environment in which we want to be with one another. Well, underneath all of what Paul is saying here in chapter 16 about being with one another, what is, what is the source of it all? What is the source of it all? What, what fundamentally is, is, is creating this and driving this and propelling this? Many of you know the answer to that question it's the gospel. We could say it this way. Why is it that we as Christians want to be with one another? And the reason is because Jesus came to be with us. In John chapter 1, the Apostle John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word that was eternal and perfect and sinless came to be with us in our humanity, in our frailty, and in our brokenness. Not only that, He came to be with us in our shame and in our guilt and in our sin. Not because He sinned. He never sinned. But because at the cross... He took upon Himself all the devastating consequences of our sin. He suffered the penalty that we should have suffered. And why did Jesus do this? So that we might be forgiven. So that we might be washed and cleansed. So that we might be with God and we might be with one another so that all the devastating consequences of sin that separated us from God, that separated us from one another, caused divisions and factions, would be erased, would be conquered by the power of his grace and love, and we would be drawn into the presence of God, and we would be drawn into fellowship with one another. And so Paul says, it's out of this gospel, it's out of this reality of what God has done for us in Christ, that we are a new people. And we should be with one another. Oh, my friends, as God has been with us in Jesus, may we be with one another, a community reflecting His grace and His love. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the power of the gospel. We thank You for how relational it really is. We thank you that these truths that we profess powerfully transform our relationship with you and with one another. Lord, help us to understand the tremendous blessing it is to be a member of your church. And Lord, help us to reflect that blessing in the way that we interact with one another. Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to partner together in the gospel here at Crawford Avenue. As we do so, we pray that many, many more would be drawn in to the fellowship that you have won for us in Jesus. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.